Our lesson tonight comes from the book of Micah. Looking at our second lesson from the book of Micah, looking at uh, the, the punishments and the encouragements we find from Micah, particularly in chapters 3 uh, through 5 of Micah. And we think about, as we've already seen in the other studies we've done on, on the various prophets, we've seen over and over again where God punishes the wicked and where the faithful are, are going to be blessed by God. And we find this a very similar idea as well. But in Micah, in particular in this lesson, we begin in chapter 3, and you'll have to open your Bibles because I didn't go through and put three chapters worth of verses on the screen. I'm just going to tell you that. And so you'll have to follow along with me. But we begin first by looking at how Micah makes some charges against the leaders of the nation in chapter 3. And chapter 3 really begins with a lot of very strong figurative language. It is not to be taken literally, because what we find in chapter 3 are the charges that Micah makes against the rulers and how they are treating others. And so as we begin looking at Micah chapter 3, beginning in verses 1 through 4, here the Bible says, And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, it is, it is not for you to know justice. You hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them and break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will, hide, he will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. Now again, this is not to be literal. From what I've seen, this is not literally the idea of people being skinned and chopped up and eaten, but it's very descriptive of the type of abuse that these people were, were taking from these leaders. We find there in verses 3 and 4, or 2 and 3 rather, uh, the idea of them being skinned is just severe, severe persecution and mistreatment from the rulers. The idea that they are just being uh, abused, they have nothing that's being taken, uh, being given to them. Instead, everything they have is being taken away from them. And we find in verse 4, the Bible says, And they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. Now, in context, as we're going to keep reading, this is, these are the wicked leaders who seem to cry out to God, but they really don't want justice because they really don't want to change, especially at this point. We find here in verse 4, He will even hide his face from them at that time, because they have been evil in their deeds. Now we know that God will hear those who come to him in repentance. But as we're going to continue to go through this, we're going to see that these individuals are trying to portray themselves as if they're going to God for help, when in reality they're not. They're only, they're only further persecuting the people. And so what we find here is a lack of genuine repentance from uh, these rulers here in verses 1 through 4. And this is part of what Micah has against them, is that they're mistreating the people. They're mistreating uh, those who are, who are the house uh, of, of Israel. He says, you rulers of the house of Israel there in verse 1. So this is an example of what they're doing in this severe persecution against these people. Again, these terms used figurative. They're not meant to be taken uh, literally, at least not in my judgment. Looking at verses 5 through 8, you have Micah's words against the false prophets. Here, beginning in verse 5, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth. 
The idea there is they're saying we want peace, we want peace, but their actions are saying something different. They're saying one thing, but doing something else. He says there in verse 5, we make my people stray. That is, they are pulling people away from God. He says, but who prepare war against him, who puts no, but who prepare war against, the, against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore he shall have night without vision, and he shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. The seers shall be ashamed, and the, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But truly, I am, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. So we want to, first we want to notice here in verses 6 and 7, these diviners and this divination, these are people who are not godly people. These are people who are trying to portray themselves as if they could give some type of word from God. These are not people who are truly prophesying on behalf of God. They're, not, they're phony people we find here in verses 6 and 7. They're not really uh, diviners or those who are able to do these types of things. We know, of course, really uh, some say that these are just those who, who are uh, taking advantage of the people. And, and give them the idea they could do these types of things. He says, you shall have darkness there in verse 6 without divination, which means their divination, so-called, is coming to an end. The sun shall, shall go down, the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them, the prophets being the false prophets. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed, means they'll be embarrassed because they literally can do nothing. And, and indeed, they shall cover their lips, which is a sign uh, lepers were known to cover their mouth if they were if someone came up to them. It was a sign of them showing they were a leper. They would cover their mouth. For there is, he says there in verse seven, for there is no answer from God. Why? Because they're not truly really turning to God. They're still trusting in diviners and false prophets. But yet we find a comparison being made here with Micah. Unlike those who were false prophets, unlike the, the those who were trying to do divination to fool the people and take advantage of the people and to bring them into uh, to trick them, you might say. Instead, notice how Micah speaks concerning his word, his message. He says, But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Well, his message was what? He says, Of, of justice and might. Well, the message of all the false prophets and all their rulers before this was not about justice and might. You might say it was about abuse and oppression, as we saw in verses 1 through 4. It was about trying to fool the people there in verses 6 and 7. But Micah says he, he is full of the Spirit of the Lord, and his message is of justice and might. And his message, he says here in verse 8, is to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. He's going to pull out their error in the hopes of repentance. A completely different message than what came from the prophets and those who call themselves uh, diviners and those who try to be involved in divination, so-called. Next, we find in Micah 3, verses 9 through 12, we find, again, he just he, this time Micah approaches three groups, the rulers, the priests, and the prophets. In verses 9 through 11, you have the accusation against them. And then in verse 12, you have the consequence, Jerusalem is to be plowed as a field. Looking first at verses 9 through 11. Micah here says, Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, which means they do nothing good. 
They're oppressing people and there's no truth in them. They pervert or they abhor justice. They pervert equity. They pervert all that is good. Verse 10, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with, with inequity. They're doing what? All types of evil. Sin upon sin. They're being built up with sin. Verse 11, her heads judge for a bribe, which tells you it's not true judgment. Her priests teach for pay. We can imagine what they're teaching. Anything that people wanted, right? Her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money, which tells you they're not true prophets after all. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Now that is not an accurate statement, is it? They're wanting people to believe that the Lord is among them. They're wanting people to believe that their message is from God. But their words and their actions do not agree, do they? You know, John the Baptizer talks about coming forth and bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Christ also talks about how by their fruits you shall know them. The same idea here, right? Their fruit is what? It's not justice. It is oppression. It's abuse. It's false. It's lies. It's deceit. In verse 12, we have the consequence. Therefore, that is, as a result of all these things, therefore, because of you, now remember who he's talking to, rulers, priests, and false prophets, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountains, mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. I mean, they're all going, it's all going to be destroyed because the sin and the evil that has taken place there. They're going to be, as he says there in verse 12, Jerusalem is going to be plowed like a field. Well, if it's plowed like a field, there's nothing left, is it? You know, sometimes you see these businesses when they go out and they fail and they close up shops sometimes and the business will come in and they'll just completely tear it down to the foundation. Sometimes they even rip that out because it doesn't work for what they have planned and they completely start all over. That's the idea we find here in verse 12. They just plow it all out. There's nothing left. Nothing of what had been going on in chapter 3 was, was meant to be left for the future. It all was to be plowed and forced and cleaned away. Now in chapter 4 and 5, we have the messianic hope, there's the hope of the coming Messiah, compared to their present destruction. And in chapter 4 we begin with the glory of the latter days. We know here referencing the church coming in the future in the first part of here chapter 4. And then we have a pause where Micah again deals with the people, and then he comes back again to the glorious coming in the future days. So let's begin here in chapter 4, looking at verses 1 uh, through 8, the glory of the latter days. And here, this is chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that a mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let's go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Uh, for all people walk each in the name of, of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever 
and ever. And so we find here the, the glory of the Zion, the, the, the coming kingdom, as we know from Acts chapter 2. If you go back there just a moment and you look here at verse, uh, at verse 2. He says, To the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Where were the apostles in Acts chapter 2? They were in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord came from Jerusalem. Again, referencing the coming of the church there in verse 2. And so we find here this coming kingdom, the church coming into existence in the future. Here in time would be in the future coming in Acts chapter 2. But before that could happen, we have here this pause, that before the kingdom was going to come, before the church was going to come into existence, something else was going to take place, as we find here in verses 6 through 8. He says, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts and, and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame, make the lame a remnant, and the, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from, from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall come. Even the former uh, dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So we find here in, in, verses, in chapter 4, verses 1, excuse me, verses 6 through 8, rather, the restoration of the former dominion, that is the healing of the dispersed, the remnant that has been cast out. Because we find here near Machistan, there was still a remnant that's going to be spared, but some are still going to, go to be, going to be destroyed. Some are going to be taken into captivity in verses 6 through 8. And we find next now in verses 9 through, uh, in verse 9 through chapter 5, verse 1, we find that before the future glory would come, there would be a humiliation in captivity and then a return. Looking at verse 9, Now why do you cry aloud, Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished, for pangs have seized you like a woman in labor? But in pain and labor to bring forth, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs, for now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered, there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now also many nations have gathered against you, who say, Let her be defiled, and let her, let her, let her eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. So we find here that some are going to be punished, some are going to be taken captive, and then some will return. We find here in verse 11 that some are wanting to see Zion destroyed. But look at verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, or we might say his wisdom, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord, and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Notice verse 1 of chapter 5. Now gather yourselves in troops, in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. And so we find here they're going to have to be what? They're going to be punished. There's somebody going to go into captivity, and then some will eventually uh, return. Some will be among the remnants, as we find there in, in chapter in, in the chapter four. Now, as we continue to look at chapter five, we find the Messiah, and really uh, the the messianic heir is discussed here in chapter five, verses two through nine. 
uh, verses 2 through 15 as a whole. But first we're going to look at verses uh, 2 through 9. We find in verses 2 through 9, the ruler of the new Zion, he'll be born in Bethlehem, rule in the strength of Jehovah, and give victory to his people, and the invader will, will, would be defeated. We know he's going to be born in, in Bethlehem, don't we? We know he's coming in the strength of Jehovah. We know this is a reference to Christ coming in the future. Looking at verse 2 and following, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock, in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall and they shall abide for now, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so we find there in two through four, the Messiah will rise out of Bethlehem and he will feed his flock. That's a reference to those who are followers of him. We find in verses five and six, the Messiah is to be to be peace or to bring peace to his people. Looking at verses five and six. Uh, looking at verses 5 and 6 here, the Messiah to, bring, to, to be the peace of his people, or to bring peace to his people. And this one shall be peace, literally he is peace, when the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads in our palaces, then will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall, they shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod as entrances, then he shall deliver us from the Assyrians and he, he comes, when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. So the idea there bringing peace and bringing protection there in verses 5 and 6. In verses 7 through 9 of chapter 5, we find the Messiah provides power to his people. Looking at verse 7, so here the Bible says, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, that tarry for no man, nor wait for the sons of men. You look there at verse, verse 7, the, the faithful are pictured as, as if they are a refreshment to, the, to those who have been struggling. Look at verse 7, he says, Like dew from the Lord and like showers on the grass. Well, what, are, what are showers on the grass and dew? What was the purpose of those things? Just to refresh uh, refresh the ground, refresh the grass, and that's how Christians are pictured here. That's how the faithful are pictured. Like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man, nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant, verse 8, uh, the, son, the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who, if he passes, passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and no one can deliver your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. No doubt, during this time we find that God's going to take care of the remnants, and we also know that uh, the, the faithful will also be taken care of by God, not necessarily in a physical battle, but the Lord is going to take care of those who are loyal to Him. We continue reading, and think about verses 7 and 8, or 7 through 9 rather, the remnant in verse 7 is to be like dew or refreshment among the peoples. The Messiah also we see will be as a lion there in verse 8, conquering those who are evil and those who come against him. And the Messiah also will be uh, one who triumphs over the enemies of the faithful. If we look at verses 10 through 15 of chapter 5, we find the instruments of carnal warfare. 
uh, and all classes of wizards and the idols of the land will be cut off. We find that God's vengeance will be on those who do not listen. As we look at verses 10 uh, through 15 of chapter 5. Uh, here the Bible says, And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from, from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images also will cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst, thus I will destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. We find there in those verses, the Lord basically tells us that their weapons will be useless in verses 10 and 11. There's no way you can go against God with physical things. We also find in verses uh, verses 11 and 12 and following that all their false gods and all their false sorceries and all their false things are going to come to an end. And he says in verse 14 that he would pluck their wooden images from their midst and he would destroy their cities. He says in verse 15, this again is a reminder of why he is doing these things. He says, and I will execute vengeance and anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. They had not heard God. They had not listened to God. And for that reason, God was going to punish them. Some lessons for us today from these chapters. That is that wicked leaders, the first one being that wicked leaders will not be spared. Leaders sometimes seem to think that they are immune from punishment, but that is not the case. We go back to chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and Micah, the Bible tells us, here it says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who is God dealing with? The prophets. Men who are supposed to be those who are, who are guiding people to their right, but these were false prophets. Well, they're going to be spared because they're prophets? No. God's going to punish them as well. He's on to say there in verse 5, he says, Who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, who prepare war against them, who puts nothing in their mouths. What's going to happen? They're going to be punished. He says there at the end of verse 6, The sun shall go down, the prophets, and the day shall be dark. For them, that's not a pretty picture. The idea there is their day is coming. They do not truly turn to God, so they find no peace from Him, but instead punishment. We find in verse 7, So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed, and indeed they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. Why? Because they're not truly turning to God. They, their point in this with the prophets and many of these individuals was to make it seem as if God was guiding them when they were out there. They were not. We still have those today do the same thing. They want you to believe that God has spoken to them when in reality He has not. Looking at verse 12, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Because of who? Because of people like the prophets and others who are there. They're going to be plowed. No one is going to escape. And the wicked leaders will be among those who are going to be plowed like the field as well. Another point for us to think about is that Christians can be a source of refreshment and strength to those hurting a source of refreshment and strength to those who are hurting. Looking at chapter 5, looking at verse 7, Then the remnant of Jacob should be in the midst of many people like the dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass they, they, that tear for no man nor wait for the sons of men. You think about times when you've had difficulty going on in your life, and a good brother or sister comes along and encourages you. Maybe they just come and visit with you, maybe they just come and talk with you, whatever it may be. But yet, when they leave, you feel encouraged. And then we find here in verse 7 that same idea. They're like the dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. 
We also find that the faithful are capable of overcoming evil and sin. As we look at chapter 5, the very next two verses, verses 8 and 9. The remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep. Well, how successful would a lion be in a, in among the flock of sheep? Pretty successful. Who, if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and your, all your enemies shall be cut off. Think about that again. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. The faithful can overcome and endure persecution and overcome those difficult times if we will keep our faith in God. And we find here in Micah, if they continue to rely on God, they would uh, see their enemies be cut off. We also reminded that no physical weapons of war can defeat God. We know today that men and nations will oftentimes talk about how strong their armies or militaries are. But when it comes to the spiritual battle, they are completely worthless. No physical army can stand against God. Victory from God is not physical warfare, but is spiritual. In Micah chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, the Lord talks about how He will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. He says, I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. You cannot fight our God who is spiritual with physical things. We also recognize that really, in all reality, you cannot fight God at all. You can rebel against them. You can talk back to, to God, look at His commands, and laugh at them and mock them. But there is no way to fight back against, against a God like our God. We would do well to remember that those who abuse the, their fellow man will be punished. And that true victory is spiritual in nature and it is found in God. We think about Micah chapter, chapters 3 through 5. We find suffering, we find hope, and then we also find a promise of victory. You think about that for a second. Chapter 3 is all about their oppression and how badly they're being treated. Chapter 4 is about how the day was coming the Messiah would come. But first there had to be repentance. There had to be the wicked being taken care of. Then we find in chapter 5 that God was going to give victory to those who remained faithful to Him but they had to remain faithful to Him. It's no secret that as you go through the prophets, you find the same things over and over again. You find wickedness, you find, you find warning, and then you find punishment. You find wickedness, you find rebellion, you find stubbornness, you find a plea for repentance, and you find punishment. Nothing has changed today, has it? The Lord looks down upon us, the Bible tells us that God sees all things, right? He still finds wickedness. He still finds rebellion. He still finds stubbornness. But he also still provides a way for repentance. And the time is not yet up for us. The time is not yet too late for us to come to God in repentance and making ourselves right before him. Because one of the things the prophets bears out over and over again is that the wicked, those who are unrepentant, are taken care of by God. And the way we find, especially in the time of the prophets, they were taken care of was not one that we want to have any part in. You think about how the prophets were spoken of, how the Bible says there, the Lord says that the sun will go down for the prophets. Their day was coming to an end, which tells us that they were going to be punished for their wickedness. Well, let's be those who are not going to face that end. Let's be those who take the time that we have to come to God in repentance 
And to make ourselves right before Him before time is too, is, is too far gone. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you, encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. Let's go. We stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>